Louise McSharry on 2FM. Now, Beyonce doesn't often post on her Instagram, so when she does, I take notice, and I believe many, many other people do as well. And this week, they posted, or she posted, excuse me, well, I mean, she's hardly the one pressing post, but someone from her team posted some stunning images of uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z wearing jewellery from Tiffany & Co. It's part of their new About Love campaign, and in the photos, Beyonce is wearing one spectacular piece. And I didn't know that this spectacular piece has a name. It's called The Tiffany Diamond. It's not just A Tiffany Diamond, it's The Tiffany Diamond. And it actually has a very interesting history, as do many diamonds and other gems. So I thought we would talk to someone who knows all about this stuff, and uh, that is gemologist and bespoke jewellery designer, Natasha Sherling. Good morning, Natasha. Hey, Louise, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, yeah, so I was saying, I didn't, I didn't know about this, but obviously this is a very famous diamond. Yeah, it's massively famous. I suppose when it was discovered um, nearly 150 years ago, um, and it, it kind of remains one of the biggest yellow diamonds ever found. It's nearly 100, it's about 128 carats, so it's it's huge. <laughs> and how big is that kind of in your hand? Um, it's very large. Probably what I'm going to do as we're chatting, because I know it's it can be so abstract, I'm probably going to post pictures along on my Instagram so people can actually see, mm. you know, a picture held in the hand. It's kind of like a golf ball, to be Okay, honest. yeah, wow. <laughs> Very large. <laughs> Holy moly. I would like to hold that in yeah. my hand. <laughs> I know, so would I. So would I. Um, so you said it was discovered in, in 1877. Um, yes. And then what kind of journey has it taken since then? So it's quite incredible. I mean, uh, Tiffany itself is over 175 years old. So this was discovered, you know, quite early on in, in the company's history. Mm. So you know, that's as well why it's so important because it really kind of, when it was found, it really cemented its place as a very important jeweler, you know, mm. that they found and were able to buy such an important mm. diamond. So it started off, um, not to get too dorky on it, because, you know, I love a bit of gem dorkiness, <laughs> but um, Dr. Kunz, who was their gemologist, um, he cut it. He was only 23 years old at the time when he cut it. So my nerves would be shot if I was given a diamond like that to cut. But he did it and it kind of didn't appear. It stayed in their archives and it didn't really appear in public. And um, the first person to wear it was a woman called Mary Whitehouse. She was a socialite. It was held to a kind of a charity board um in a necklace and she was the very first woman to wear it publicly and then it didn't reappear until I think 1961 it was worn by Audrey Hepburn for all the press um for breakfast at Tiffany's so that's where people really saw it um an iconic jewellery designer for Tiffany, um, Schlumberger, he's the one who designed the necklace that it was held in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one we see on Audrey. And then the third woman to wear it, it was it was set into a brooch um, in, in the interim, but the third woman to wear it publicly then was Lady Gaga in 2019 when she collected her Oscar. Yes. Um, and again, the necklace, it was, re- the, it was completely redesigned into a brand new necklace for her. Um, and for Tiffany's 175th anniversary, but she wore it to collect her Oscar. And again, you can see she channeled Audrey um, in her updo, in her mm. black dress and in her black gloves. And then it went quiet again for a little bit. And then it popped up on all of our screens last Monday on Beyonce. Mm. Um, and she's only the fourth, yeah, the fourth person to wear it in public, the first black woman. Um, and interestingly, obviously in her picture, again, channeling a bit of Audrey with the black gloves, the black dress, yeah. the updo. Um, but also, and again, it's probably something I'll post on Instagram because it's interesting to see she's, they're standing, her and Jay-Z are in front of a very um, interesting Jean-Michel Basquiat painting. Mm. Um, and actually the inspiration when you see 
the cover because it was based on the cover of a New York Times magazine um, cover from the 1980s with Jean-Michel Basquiat himself sitting mm. on the cover. You'll see that Beyonce's inspiration is actually less Audrey and more that cover from the 1980s. It's really, it's wow. really interesting. But, but yeah, so it's had a, a really interesting history, really. That's, that is interesting. And I know Jay-Z has been kind of channeling Jean-Michel Basquiat for some years now with his hair and stuff. Like, they're, he's obviously in that yes. kind of vibe at the moment. And vibe, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that about the cover. There's so much I don't know, Natasha. Um, thank God I have people like you to teach me. <laughs> um, so can I ask, <laughs> you know the way you, you mentioned that the necklace was kind of reset or restyled or the gem was re- the diamond was restyled does that do any damage to to the stone no it doesn't i suppose the joy of diamonds one of the big things is that they are one of the toughest hardest substances out there yeah um you know and unlike a lot of other gemstones you can put heat at them you know you can reset them you can take them out of settings put them back in and and very little happens so that's kind of why i love you know, people come to me with antique diamonds all the time. They might have inherited. They hate the setting. But what a brilliant opportunity to change it into something you love. You still have the diamond exactly as it was, mm. um, but in, in a setting or amount that you'll actually wear. And so can I ask as well, because you mentioned about the cutting of the Tiffany diamond. Yeah. So obviously when a diamond comes is found, it, it, come, it doesn't mm-hmm. come out like with lovely like facets on it. You know, it's, no. it's rough, obviously. So then what yeah. does that cutting process involve? So, I mean, it's really intricate and people, there's, you know, generations of cutters, like it's a family, it's, it's a skill passed mm. through families, essentially. And um, it, the first step is called cleaving. So you find a cleavage, there's not, I suppose not to get into the nitty gritty, but there's various cleavage points within a diamond and you find the right cleavage point. First, you have to study it and you have to work out how do you get the most from the rough. So that rough, the Tiffany diamond is over 200 carats. So you want to obviously preserve as much rough as you can yeah. while making sure the color is perfect and and making it as big as possible but as beautiful as possible so you you cleave it and back then it would have been done by hand and by eye um and really god your hand would just be shaking you know mm. <laughs> um because it was yeah so the, you know and it has far more facets than a traditional cushion cut wood because again they made that call to give it the most sparkle that they could so yeah. that's what's interesting about antique diamonds too they were all cut by hand and eye modern ones are done by kind of laser and computer mm. um so that's why you see antique diamonds have this kind of really um, mysterious almost twinkle about them and modern brilliance have this big giant flash so people often fall into one or the other camp of loving right. the way one or the other sparkles right and can i ask you because i know that obviously like all industries you know the the diamond industry is changing and obviously that there obviously mm. there's been a big conversation about kind of the ethics of I don't know what you call it, harvesting diamonds, <laughs> finding sure. diamonds, taking <laughs> diamonds yeah. um, and that whole process. But can people be confident now that things are kind of being done ethically when they're buying a diamond? Definitely. I think <clears throat> it's really in any jeweler's best interests to have a really transparent supply chain. Mm. And obviously things have changed so much. Like, for example, like as I was mentioning, that diamond was found 150 years ago. You know, the world has changed and, you know, consumers were demanding more, and rightly so. So I think things have just changed so much. For example, Tiffany now own a few of their own uh, mines so they can really trace right from the source what is happening and stand over everything that they're selling and then you also have things um, like 
I think we've discussed before, a lot of people don't know Canada is actually um, in the top three diamond producers in the world. Mm. So obviously it being Canada, they put a lot of demands on the mining companies, you know, environmental, mm. obviously to do with the workforce, putting money back into the area that they're mining. And they were able to do that because they have this new amazing supply. Mm. And when other countries then were looking at Canada and seeing the mining companies going in and doing all of that for them, they said, well, you have to do it for us as well. Yeah. So that's also helped a huge shift in how the stones are mined and, and how they actually end up, you know, in stores all over the world. Yes, and of course they are mined, not harvested. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's okay. Oh I'm married God. to a farmer, so, you know, harvesting, <laughs> farmed, it's fine. We, we get it. <laughs> I'd love to harvest some diamonds. Um, okay, yeah. um, can I ask as well, because, you know, we... we are concerned about ethics, but these days we're also very environmentally yeah. conscious, you know, with everything that we buy. Mm. And I have heard about artificial diamonds and I suppose, you know, there might be an idea that that's a very good thing because, you know, if you can if you can create a diamond out of nothing virtually or whatever, if you mm-hmm. can create one rather than having to do all the work to actually mine a diamond, then that's probably better mm-hmm. for the environment. But do they stand up? I think the tricky thing is to tricky things I find. I mean, I find the whole thing absolutely interesting. I think Mm. it's incredible what, you know, science can achieve. Um, But I think the two interesting things are firstly on the environmental. um, The the lab-grown diamond companies have had a bit of a rap on the knuckles from, especially in the States, about touting the environmentally friendly uh, kind of um, angle in their marketing because actually a lot of them are made. It's a really intense process and a lot of them at the moment, and this obviously could change, but a lot of them at the moment are still made in countries that would rely very heavily on fossil fuels to actually um, fuel the whole process. Mm. So, you know, there's there's that to consider. So it is actually a very intense um, process to make them. But the other thing I have kind of I'm a bit wary about is the price just isn't stable at the moment because obviously when you're taking something from the ground it's natural and that's what I love about diamonds and gemstones Mm. I find it incredible that you could find something like this just in the ground and it absolutely is I mean it's wild to think that these are just like naturally existing you know and that in in the planet right now there could be another Tiffany diamond that just hasn't been discovered I mean that is yeah Amazing. And I'm like such, I'm such a dork because it's also the way that they're formed. You know, nitrogen is actually what makes diamonds yellow. Whereas if it has boron in it, it becomes blue. And, you know, mm. like I could like go on and on, but I think it's just so cool. But anyway, um, the, obviously the lab grown ones, um, they're not finite. And the, the more the technology kind of um, the, like people are going to be able to buy the technology. So the more it spreads, the cheaper the diamonds sure. are going to become because the, the more people valuable, that own it. Yeah. So I was, yeah, so I was reading an, an, an article, an interesting survey actually, that in 2008 it was costing about $4,000 a carat to produce a lab-grown diamond. Now it's only costing about four or $500 to produce wow. a carat. Okay. So that's my thing with lab-grown. I'm kind of on the fence because I want the prices to stabilise. I just hate for someone to pay a huge amount of money for something and in 10 years you know, they could have gotten it for a tenth of the price. So that that I find a little bit tricky, but it's really interesting. I think it's a really interesting aspect of the industry to keep an eye on. Well, I think that that is all very valuable information, Natasha. And um, obviously, <laughs> I know you make absolutely gorgeous bespoke jewellery. So if people have diamonds oh, that they you. want to rework, or indeed if they're looking for a diamond for something important yeah, in their life should. or any other jewellery, head to Natasha Sherling Fine Jewellery on Instagram. That's Natasha Sherling Thank Fine Jewellery on Instagram. And I know, as, as you said, Natasha, you're going to be posting um, or you have posted some photos that are relevant to our conversation there as well. Um, Natasha, yeah. 
so thank you so much. And if people, if people have questions, you know, just throw them at me. Fabulous. Thank you so much. That's gemologist yeah. and bespoke jewelry designer Natasha Sterling. Have a great one, Natasha. Louise McSherry on 2FM.